0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief cast. I am so excited once again to have an amazing guest on. Her name's Andrea Sorensen. Thank you for being here.
1: Hey, I'm excited to be here too. Yes,
0: we're, we're live here at <clears throat> Wasatch Recovery. And Andrea um, has an amazing story. She lives her life with passion. Um, I, I got to know her. We, went to the, we spoke at the same conference, but we kind of missed each other. But uh, I've heard such great things about you and people think the world of you. And I know you're really passionate about how you live your life, but it wasn't always like that, I know. No. Um, You've dealt with addictions in your family, and I just can't wait to get to that. But I I do want to also really quick thank our sponsor, Veracity Networks, for believing in me and allowing this to happen. And also you listeners, man, we are crank, I can't believe how many downloads we have received. So thank you for, Listening and sharing, and this exciting. is this is exciting, and and everyone has an amazing story, and people love to hear this, and so I'm so grateful that you're willing to come on. Thank you. Um, so again, like we said, you know, you you've dealt with some struggles with addictions in your family. Yeah. Um, you uh, look, sounds like you worked for the American Red Cross after the, after 9-11 as a volunteer and focusing mainly on addiction issues with families and stuff like that. Is that correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. in recent months, so this, this endeavor of mine to reach out to this uh, community and just offer whatever help I can, I guess, by sharing my story, right. um, is relatively new. So, uh, I just kind of, in the last several months uh have just felt this this drive this impression this just this need to get out there and to share that story and some of that has come from friends around me saying Andrea you you need to talk about this and you know others have have come from really strong impressions and so I'm trying to I'm trying to do that and I don't really know what that looks like yet but at this point um it's uh, been a lot of connection with a lot of amazing people and right. has offered a lot of healing for myself. Um, and the cool part is when you see the healing happen for them too. Absolutely.
0: So. Well, I know a lot of people have reached out to you, been on several podcasts now, and you know you, you got a, a following on social media. They're really loving what you're doing. And uh, I, I, you know, I want to point out you're, you're a mother of five. Yeah, is it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is awesome in, in itself. And that's, you know, what, a, what an endeavor that is, right? Yeah, yeah, but, for sure. You know, and uh, so, you know, I, I wanted you to come on because I know you have a story. And m- the listeners that follow, follow this um, will really be inspired because a lot of them are in the position where they're going through something. Yeah. whether it's the addiction, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, whether they feel hopeless and lost. Um, I also want to point out, you know, Andrea's very passionate about her faith. And she's going to talk a little bit about that as well. And I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And I just want you to feel free to share. And, and let's start, you know, tell us a little about growing up and a little bit about your family.
1: Okay. So I grew up um, in a home with parents that really adored me. They you just could feel their love, but right. I also grew up with parents who were struggling with some of their own demons and unfortunately um turned to substance abuse to handle those. And so as a result, there were some things that my siblings and I were subjected to growing up that we literally had no control over. And so they were doing the best that they could to get through their situation and their struggles. And we were doing the best that we could to get through them as well. And so I want to make it very clear that there was definitely not an absence of love in my home. And despite everything that has happened over the years, I knew that my parents loved me and um, there were moments in my life where I definitely had some anger and some resentment, but as the journey continues and various things happen uh-huh. to me that we'll hear about, I learned to replace that resentment with compassion oh, wow. and that, that anger with love and that has enabled me to be able to heal and to lead like this really joyful life. Does it mean that I don't experience sadness or right. trials still? <laughs> Absolutely not. But it means that I'm able to look towards hope always. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> that was kind of the situation growing up. My dad, uh, my dad was an alcoholic and during those early years, my mom was the rock of right. our family.
0: How old were you really quick when you realized that your dad was going through this? How old oh. were you at that time? Do okay. You well,
1: you know, I mean, obviously I knew that my parents drank and I knew that dad got pretty angry sometimes. Okay. Um, I don't think it really kicked in though that it was a serious mm. problem until I was, I think I was in the fourth grade. Okay. Cool. I took a my first dance class. My mom enrolled me in my first dance class, and I had my first dance recital. Okay. And I remember, um, gosh, I've never shared this story before, but you made me think of it. I remember ge- being so excited that night for my family to see me dance on stage yeah, for the right. first time, yeah. right? And so I get out there, and my mother was there, and my godparents, and my dad was supposed to show up at the end of work. And I remember dancing out onto the stage and looking out into the audience and seeing my brother and my sister and my mom, and then an empty seat next to her and then my godparents. And the whole time I was up there dancing, all I could think about instead of my first performance was, where's my dad? What happened? And it was, uh, after the recital that we got home. And again, this is, this is pre cell phones. So we didn't know where dad was. We had no idea. It wasn't until we got home and later that night got a call from, uh, the jail, um, that my dad had been arrested and it was actually something unrelated to alcohol, but it was at that moment that I thought dad's got some challenges. Yeah. So I was 10, it's kind of a young age to realize, I mean, I knew before that things were off, but this was like the moment where I thought, okay, this is, this is a real problem. Well, and
0: as a 10 year old too, you don't know how to handle that information. It's almost like it, you know, all of a sudden it feels like things aren't safe anymore. Right. You know, because you're 10, you don't know how to process that.
1: Yeah. And I never really felt very safe before. I mean, I, I talk about growing up in that environment as like walking on eggshells all the time. Like you were just so, you were just so nervous. You didn't know if that day when dad came home from work, if you were going to get happy, how are you dad? Or if you were going to get like really angry and belligerent dad. And so it was just this constant state of fear. And this very tentative energy all the time of like being careful and worrying about the way that you said things. If I say this one way, is it going to be misconstrued? Or it was it was this constant state of fear. So mom was this light for our family. She was just this really fun, (laughs) vibrant person, life of the party. But she was really struggling to pull my dad away from this addiction. And um, <clears throat> there was court ordered AA meetings and right. an abuse pills right. and different things like that. Right. To help detox my dad from the drugs. Or for those of you that don't know an abuse, if you take that and drink alcohol at the same, same time, it makes you very, very sick. Right. And I remember having to, I remember once going with my dad to the pharmacy and watching the pharmacist watch my dad take the pill and then going back outside and watching him spit it out because he somehow hid it in and his they, mouth yeah, right they call
0: that cheeking
1: okay <laughs> there you go i don't know the terminology yeah or like seeing the booze right. asking my my dad asking me to hide them in my playhouse in the garage or various things like that right so these were the yeah. things i was experiencing as a kid
0: yeah wow that's and
1: uh, my mom tried desperately for years to rescue my dad, but she just didn't know how to do it. And he was very much like this functioning alcoholic. He held down a job most of the time. Right. And, uh, but there was just a beer from sunup to sundown all the time. Yeah. And the, the amount that he could drink and still drive or all of these other things was just crazy to me. Um, anyway, so mom, mom, Mom tries for years and finally she can't handle it anymore. The contention, the anger in the home, the fighting, it was so intense that I remember when my mom said, we're gonna get a divorce, I remember feeling relieved. Because Mm, at this point I thought, perhaps this will be the wake up call that dad needs. Maybe things will finally change. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I had all this hope. So my parents get divorced and my mom tries to move on with her life. And, um, meanwhile, my, my older brother, who's my half brother goes and lives with his dad. He was about four. My dad, my brother's four years older than me. So when my parents divorce, he leaves and goes and lives with his father. And then it's just my, my sister and I who are about 18 months apart. Okay. So we are trying to make sense of all of this and, Mm -hmm function and figure out how to just live life the best that we can. And uh, my parents end up with joint custody. So we spend two weeks with dad and two weeks with mom. And that in and of itself was kind of challenging, but we figured it out. Yeah, sure. And so um, mom seems to start to start getting better. She, um, I mean, just starting to function on her own, right. And this new life away from being, um, with my dad. And she meets, um, my stepfather who is an incredible man, love him. We have a great relationship to this day. Um, they end up together and, um, nothing changes with my dad.
0: Things are still the same. That's tough to see that nothing's changing.
1: No. (laughs) Right. No. No matter how much begging and pleading and whatever we do, it just stays. The status quo is the same. And so we learn to function in this. But what this kind of propels me to do is to seek for hope, Uh, seek Mm -hmm. for some sort of strength outside of what I've got within my own family. And so at this time, I start trying out different churches. I am yeah. seeking for some kind of peace. Something, yeah. I can't find it at home, so I'm going to seek for it elsewhere. And so I become a member of various faiths and right. <laughs> I just search and search and I'm finding some some sense of hope and yeah. some faith. Um but it takes it takes a long time and so um I eventually um find, uh, peace in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, um, it really helped to strengthen me from that point on, but it wasn't an easy road <laughs> getting there. Sure, yeah. uh, and there was a lot of opposition to that, but that that's what worked for me. That's yeah. what brought me some peace and some strength and just some guidance and direction that I needed mm, as this right. really young teenager who didn't know, where to turn. And so mom meets my stepdad. Things seem to be going really good for her. Yeah. I have finally found some religion that I feel like brings me some comfort. Yeah. And, um, and I start to notice that mom seems a little bit off. Right. And she, um, those latter years of high school went from being this woman who would walk into a room of strangers, right. right and hug everyone in the room. Mm -hmm. I mean, and when you finished getting that hug from Debbie, you didn't want to let go, and you loved her right back, even if you were a stranger, and you did it, because you could feel her genuine, unconditional love for you, totally. She was this vibrant person. (laughs) But I start noticing that something's a little off. So those late years of high school, I am trying to figure out what it is. I don't know if maybe she's suffering from depression. And then at this time, she has a baby. And so I have this awesome sister who's 15 years younger than me. So I'm 15 when she's born. And I think mom's probably just exhausted, right? She's for 41 sure, yeah. <laughs> right. when she has my younger sister. <laughs> and I, I mean, yeah. I'm 36 right now, almost 37 uh-huh. with five kids. And I can't imagine having another baby right now. So for all right. of you ladies out there who have a baby um, in your later 30s, or even beyond that, kudos to you. Kudos. <laughs> because Absolutely. that's exhausting.
0: Absolutely.
1: So <laughs> I am thinking, I, I'm making up all of these excuses in my head for why mom is acting a little bit different. And this looks like sleeping more than she used to or Mm -hmm. um, not, (laughs) just kind of being numb. Yeah, Not really as engaged as she used to be. And so I'm worrying about this and I'm worrying about my dad and I am trying to pick up the pieces of my own life and move on. And I have this experience. Now at this time I am, you know, in, in addiction support and addiction recovery, we talked about, we talk about victimhood a lot for sure. And I experienced this not as an addict, but just as a family member who is being subjected to the effects of the addiction of a loved one. Right. And so at this time I'm kind of playing victim because I am seeking for healing. I'm seeking for love and for sympathy and for attention from the people around me. And so I am thinking, um, surely if I wear my trials on my sleeve, and people will feel bad for yeah, me. I'll get some sympathy. I will get some attention. I will yeah. get some sympathy. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, not that I was out there broadcasting it to the world. In fact, if you, I've spoken to some people that I've run into from high school since then that will say I had no, I had no, I had no idea clue, really. what you yeah. were, what you were going through at this time. And so, um, but to my close friends, I yeah. was laying it all out there all the time, yeah. and to myself, right? right. I was like. Yeah. It was a woe is me mentality. Poor me. me. me, I have it so hard. I have it so hard. And so I show up to church one day. And uh, this is... Probably I don't know, three months or so after I initially start consistently R- yeah. attending church and I sit down and the opening hymn that day is families can be together forever. And I cringe, oh, I, I cringe. I hated this yeah, song. Like, I
0: don't want to hear this. I don't yeah. No. <laughs> and I
1: swear to you that that is the song that was played every Sunday. And I, <laughs> i felt like i felt like i couldn't get away from it i felt like god was taunting me with this song and so here i am victim andrea sitting in the pew and just thinking to myself (laughs) i am sitting here without a family in this very family-centered culture and i am not understanding my place here and like do do i even fit in here and i'm listening to this song And all I can think is, I hate this. This song is about everything I don't have. And then the second verse starts. And mind you, I've heard this song a million times. Okay? The second verse starts. And all of a sudden, I receive this impression. It was like I had this light bulb aha moment. It was like somebody flipped on a light switch and my life was illuminated after this moment. Right, Because I hear the words can be in the song. Mm. And it was the first time that those two words had ever really stuck out to me. And I latched onto that and I thought, wait a minute, this song about families being together forever doesn't have to be about everything I don't have. But instead this song can be about everything that can be. Oh. This gets to be about everything that I can have. Right. And oh, I get chills even when I think about it yeah, because that—that yeah. that is a moment for me where I realized wow. the power of choice and the power that taking control of your life and just deciding no i might be subjected to these circumstances to this fear to this anger to this frustration to this lack of safety within yeah. my home on a daily basis but the balls in my court yeah i get to decide what can be for my life oh, and awesome. from that moment on i lived my life very intentionally mm. I just, I would, I would look at a choice place before me. I was a teenager. I was 16 years old. So I had that whole, I had many more years ahead of me of making decisions, right? And going, is this going to help me towards my can be goal or will this keep Mm. me trapped in my current situation? And I kind of just started to pit everything against that, that belief that I had this, this power to choose and this power to create.
0: Did you feel like it was taking you out of that victim mentality? Oh, like you in just, an instant. Yeah, in an instant. Because now you kind of go, oh, "Well, I'm in charge."
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I joke when I <laughs> when hard. I give a like a public speech or whatever, I talk okay. about this and I I say, you know, before it was like. In high school, they make you read the Scarlet Letter, right? Right. (laughs) And so, which I I was an English major. I love it, right? (laughs) Many don't. But in the Scarlet Letter, she's forced to wear this letter A for adultery on her her chest. And it was like I was choosing to wear this V for victim. Like I was walking around in this ugly dollar store t-shirt with a big letter V on it. When the whole time... I could have been glamming it up in something from Target or sure, <laughs> right? Sure. Like it yeah. was me. I was the one who was choosing to wear the victimhood. Wow. So yeah, it it changed everything for me.
0: Well, and and to have that experience because you're still fairly young, fifteen, I'm sixteen. 16-year-olds. I'm sixteen at this and point. And most kids at that time don't even recognize they're being the victim. Yeah. You know, so for you to have this experience, it's I at think really it was a young just, age, just amazing.
1: It it was a blessing. Yeah. I really believe. Uh, again, this goes back to just my faith. I believe that God knew that I just needed hope. Yeah. I needed. I needed him to share this moment with me. Right. And yeah. I think he knew too, that I wanted it so deeply and that I was willing to do whatever I could, but I sure. needed that.
0: Yeah. I
1: needed that shift in my perspective. Yeah. Um, and I really believe that that was, divinely given to me, and I'll be forever grateful for that moment for the rest of my life, right? So I wasn't being taunted with that song. I feel like, I feel like it was God saying, (laughs) I'm playing this song every week, so you'll finally get it, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was up to me. (laughs) That's awesome. That was up to me.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So let's talk about what, so things started to change for you. Yeah. And how did that affect, like, even the way you viewed your family? Obviously, your mom's struggling, you've got a dad who's still struggling. Well, how did that play into that and what happened there?
1: Okay, well, that part, that piece of the puzzle takes me a little bit longer to heal from. Right. So for which myself... Is un- which is understandable. Yeah, so for myself, it was... I still I still had anger towards my dad and, and this situation from growing up. And um, I still didn't understand... I would say comp- compassion something that I've never struggled with. So I was always able to kind of recognize like he's emotionally struggling and this is what he's turning to to numb himself right. so fortunately i feel like i was able to recognize that but i still couldn't let go of the anger um that i had with um why can't he choose me over yeah. the substances right. and then later that happens with my mom so as i mentioned in high school I'm noticing this change overcoming her and I don't know what to do about it. Meanwhile, I'm experiencing this like light being poured into my life because I am seeking for it again. I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally living so that I can change my life so that I can break this cycle that I feel like I've been stuck in. Right. Right. And so after I um, graduate from high school, I feel really impressed to not attend college right away, but I apply for um, AmeriCorps uh, and Triple C, which is the National Civilian Community Corps, which you mentioned a little bit in my bio. But um, I ended up getting accepted, and it's kind of a rigorous application process, but I do this because, again, I feel really compelled to do this. I am trying to, again, break this cycle and get out of this, yeah. uh, this environment. And I remember praying and just asking God, okay, what do I need to do next? I was very focused on me like teens are, sure. right? Yep. What do I need to do next to create this can be situation right? to create this life I want? And in my mind, I was thinking that means college applications and, and the answer that I got was go surf. And so Mm. I think, okay, well, I'll take a leap of faith here and I apply, I get in and I report to AmeriCorps two weeks after 9-11, which was a crazy time. Yeah. and it was, it was a transformative year for me. I, I show up and I spend that year just working with various nonprofits around the country. I I was able to do work with Habitat for Humanity mm, and okay. like you mentioned, the Red Cross yes. and the school systems. And, and I'm not saying all of these things to say, this is what Andrea did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying this yeah. because it was, like I said, I use that word transformative. Yeah. It was really critical to help me recognize that, again, I do not have to be all of these things that were happening to me. And I am not limited by these things that are happening happening to me. I needed to realize from that experience that despite feeling like I didn't have anything to give, despite this brokenness that I felt, yeah. that I had a lot to offer. Yeah and that putting myself out there and answering that call to go out and serve even though i thought well, what do i have to offer i'm really broken i've grown up in this situation i don't how do i help these people right. that despite that that i felt like god was like no go do this and you're going to realize what you have to offer. And the confidence that I gained that year was tremendous. imagine, yeah. And I realized, and I saw some really beautiful things happening because every time we would go and serve different groups of people, and some of them who were part of the homeless demographic or whatnot, I would see these people who you would look at and make judgments and think they are broken. And yet, every time without fail, I would see this light in them. And I would talk with them or hear of their stories and their experiences. And I was profoundly affected by how good people are, even people who are in the most dire of circumstances and who are struggling from whatever current experience they're having. Um, It was... It was a life-altering year to be able to, number right. one, see that even though I felt broken, I still had something to give. And all of these people that I was serving that sometimes felt broken, th- broken themselves still had light to offer. And it was just this beautiful moment where I thought, wow, this is how God sees all of us, yeah, right? This is how you, wh- sure. whatever it is that you believe, your yeah. higher power or whatever, just this overwhelming feeling that... We're all God's children. We yeah. all have light. We all have this vibrancy to offer. And we just need to remember that it's there. So,
0: oh, I love that. Very beautifully said. And, and I, you know, I agree. You know, some people even call it energy. And I'll always yeah, say, well, absolutely. energy can't be destroyed, it can only be suppressed or magnified. Yes. You know, by the way we think. And so, and like you said, when we're, caught up, whether it's an addiction or you're just playing the victim, yeah. we are suppressing the energy or the light that is, that's within us. And yet the light's still there. It's not destroyed. It's there, you know, but once we start breaking out of the victim stance, we, we get over yeah. an addiction or a depression or anxiety, that light starts to shine. And so and I, love, to, that. I and, love that. I love that for you to, for you to do that and see that, you know, as you're serving other people, What a great gift for you. I think it was really cool and it
1: did. It helped later with the compassion and the healing and getting rid of that resentment with my parents.
0: And and Can I, I want to point something out that you said earlier. You said, obviously when you were younger, you started feeling some resentment and some anger, which is totally understandable. And I loved what you said because you, 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 the opposite of resentment was what you said is compassion Mm -hmm. because resentment breeds rebellion. And the, the the antidote for that is compassion. And yes. so instead of being mad and hating this person, I now have compassion for you. Yeah. And therefore the resentment goes away, rebellion stops. Absolutely. So I love that you said that and pointed, I wanted to make sure our listeners caught that when you said that earlier. I thought, wow, that was powerful.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I come back, I come back from this experience feeling more confident than I ever have in my life because I realized just using my time, right? can change a life I wasn't doing anything grand or it it was just recognizing that hey whatever I have to offer can help and that was incredible and I always 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 got more back than what I gave and so I come back super excited about where I'm going and what I'm doing for my future and I'm for the first time in my life I finally feel free of my dad's addiction I finally feel and my mom's at this point right before I leave for AmeriCorps I start to realize that what I think is going on is something to do with pain pills and at this time this is late 90s early 2000s and the education about opioid addiction just was not there so we kind of knew that maybe something was going on with prescription drugs right but we just weren't educated enough to know what that was. And I think there was definitely some denial there too, right? Right, We're watching mom's light kind of slowly diminish and we don't know how, we don't know why, we don't know how it started. And so we're just kind of tiptoeing around the issue. Um, Unfortunately, and again, that's another reason why I'm doing what I'm doing now because I just feel like that age old cliche, like knowledge is power, right? And I look back and think, wow, I wonder how things would have turned out if back then i would have known how addictive opioids were or right. or if my mom and i or my family and i would have had more education surrounding that so yeah. thank goodness the culture is changing the shame is lifting and yeah. we're seeing so much yeah.
0: people are willing to talk yes. and express and i'm struggling yeah and they're opening up
1: yeah and we we can't heal unless we're vulnerable
0: Absolutely, and
1: that that process can't start without that vulnerability. So sure. I'm just so grateful to see that movement of vulnerability yeah. happening in our culture right now, and it just brings me so much hope.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: So, uh, yeah, I get back from that experience, and uh, I had finally felt free from all of my my parents' addictions and all of that pressure that trying to support a loved one uh, that's trapped in that trial brings into your life. And I meet my husband and I get married and I am thinking to myself, "Whoo! I've made it to the top of Mount Everest. (laughs) I've broken the cycle. I'm going to start this forever family. I am starting to live in that can be right. Like I'm making it happen. This is, (laughs) this is coming to fruition. And about six months after that, um, I'm not at the top of Mount Everest. I realize like everything comes crashing down <laughs> and I feel like I'm at the bunny hill again because this is the moment that my mom's addiction finally becomes public. Okay. So my dad has this house fire. My husband and I are married in July, my dad has a house fire in February and he sustains third-degree burns on his hands. Oh, wow. And this moment for my dad is like his rock bottom does it cure him of his addiction no but it makes him a little more gentle Mm -hmm. a little more calm a little less angry a little more contemplative sure and so we start to develop a good relationship dad sustains these burns and my mom a couple weeks after that comes over to bring him a casserole which is very strange in and of itself because (laughs) after their divorce (laughs) It was a really, really bitter divorce. They had no relationship at all. And so this was kind of surprising. Right. So she brings in this casserole. And he calls me later and says, Andrea, your mom brought me this casserole. But what she did was still my morphine pills. And so that's when we know, okay. That's when the denial goes yeah. out the window. This is real. And I think, okay, yeah. this really is real. Mom really does have a prescription drug addiction. And what are we going to do about it? Yeah. And I am broken. Yeah, I'm feeling broken feeling at again. this time exactly. because <sighs> mom was my light.
0: She was the rock back when you were oh going through Oh my gosh, when, as a kid. she was. She and was the only thing that got it. Right. Yeah. It
1: was so strange to have... Um, mm. My parents almost almost reverse roles. I mean, my dad still was and still is unfortunately right. struggling with his addiction. But now, but now mom was gone to my worst fears, all those fears in those later years of high school. When I noticed something happening to her, they were, they were coming true. Mm. And so, so we confront her again, not knowing how to approach this. I had zero education on addiction support.
0: Mm-hmm
1: on what to do and so i think okay we'll we'll take her we can't afford an expensive rehabilitation center i didn't even i i had no resources i had no idea where to go or what to do and so we confront her and at first she denies it and then she breaks down and admits what's been going on and then tells us that it's been happening since a knee surgery that she had when I was 14. So she kept this opioid abuse secret all through high school and was still functioning fairly well um, until this time. Right. So Mm, we take her to a detox center Mm -hmm. and I naively think awesome. Like we're finally out in the open. She knows now, like, what has she got to lose? She's yeah. going to go through this detox center and we're going to get mom back. And then what that leads to is just this continuous cycle of years of opioid abuse, detox center, opioid abuse, detox center, right. opioid abuse. Can't get the opioids anymore because I she had exhausted all of her resources right. to alcohol and opioid abuse. And... um. And this was excruciating to watch, right? Uh, you know, I, um, I spent so much of my time and my energy focusing on rescuing my mom that unfortunately some things were being neglected. I wasn't able to be the wife and the mother that I wanted to be to my husband and to my children because my thoughts were always on my mom, on mom. and yeah. you know, this looked like mom calling me 10, 15, sometimes 20 times a day and sometimes she would be coherent and other times she wouldn't. And instead of me learning how to set boundaries, I just, how can I help you? How can I rescue Let me right. listen to this problem. Let me, and it just wore me down. It just wore me down. It sapped all of my energy and I was devastated. I would get in the shower every night and sob because I was trying to hold it together in front of my husband and my kids and be this counselor to my mother and was always worrying about my dad. And it was just this heaviness all the time. And sure, I had my religion that I could rely on and that really helped me but there was so much more that i needed to do on top of that and the first thing was letting go of this i need to rescue my mother mentality and really learning how to set healthy boundaries yeah. and it took me a long time to get there because i've always been this go-getter right yeah. like i'm that type of personality I can tell. i
0: can tell i
1: love it <laughs> <laughs> that if i want something i'm really determined sure. i do everything in my power <laughs> to go out there and i make it happen yeah and this was the first my My parents, my parents are the only thing in my life that I've not ever been able to tackle and fix. And that, um, that was really hard for me to learn how to let go of that and understand that that was not my responsibility. And, um, so what that looks like is mom, when she got really, really bad, um, she ends up ostracizing everyone in her life. Unfortunately, um, my younger sister, you know she was she was 15 mm-hmm. when um, or excuse me, I was 15 when she was born and so she was born a year into my mom's opioid addiction and just had my mom as this, closet addict and then open addict for all of her upbringing. And that was a huge trial and challenge. And so we're all just trying to function around this and mom ostracizes everyone in her life and she ends up homeless. And, um, at this point she's living out of her car. She tries to commit suicide and, um, uh, takes herself to my, brother's house. She had slit her wrists. My brother finds her, takes her to the hospital. They save her. She is in the psychiatric ward at the hospital for quite some time. And then when they release her, I decide that's it. Again, I'm still in rescue mode. I'm going to take mom. And my husband and I decide we will be mom's rehabilitation center. So we bring her into our home. I have well, because the alternative was well, yeah, sure. homelessness. Yeah. Now, please know that, like my stepfather, at this time had done everything that he possibly could. Right. He would have taken her back into his home, but it just, it just wasn't appropriate with my younger sister still sure, there, sure. and that was a healthy boundary that he set.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and good for him because, as hard as that is, yes, I mean, that you get to that point, that's the that's the most yes. appropriate boundary. Yes, yeah.
1: and it was hard. It was. sorry I'm getting emotional I just okay. um I never pictured my mom homeless yeah. I never um you know it's so when I see somebody on the street now it's so different
0: yeah, you see it differently I
1: totally do I think that's somebody's mother father sister brother and I have that compassion right So mom comes into our home and my husband and I decide we are going to rehabilitate mom. And so we take every resource from her for any prescription medication that she had been anything. We take all of it away. She has no phone, no car. She doesn't, we're living in Seattle, Washington at the time. So she literally knows no one. She is trapped in our home Mm -hmm. because I am convinced that if I get mom's head clear. If I take away all of the substances that she's going to choose me, that she's going to choose to be sober. So we get her there after two and a half weeks of detoxing, which was Mm -hmm. insane. (laughs) Oh yeah. It was insane. Yeah. And again, I have three kids at home and I'm trying to do all of this on my own. I get mom sober and i am so excited and for the first time she my kids are finally around her and getting to experience what grandma debbie is like and i'm just so thrilled <sighs> but the difference was that mom was sober and not clean right and mom was not choosing this sobriety for herself necessarily right and it was this forced sobriety. Yeah. Um. There, there's a quote by um a a leader in my church that uh, his name is Richard G Scott, and he says, um. Okay, now it's slipping my mind. What does he say? Do not attempt to override agency. The Lord Himself would not do that. Forced obedience yields no blessings. Wow. And that's powerful, yeah. right? That kind of just puts it right in its place. It does. And that's exactly what I tried to do. And it was good intentions. It was well-meaning, but I tried to force that sobriety. I tried to force that obedience on my mother. And that was taking away her power to choose. And a few minutes ago, I talked about with you how that power to choose what could be mm-hmm. is what finally gave me the strength to like move forward in yeah. my life. Right. I was taking away that opportunity for her to choose what right. could be for her life. Oh, yeah. And I, I didn't realize sure. that um, because it's that choice Yep, and us making that and us learning to be intentional and take action. That's what empowers us. Right. That's what strengthens us. Sure. Right. Love and it. love it. I took away that opportunity from her well-meaning, but Mm -hmm. I took it away. So we realize my husband and I are very aware of the fact that like, yeah, mom's sober, but not Mm -hmm. clean yet, if you will. Right. Uh She's not wanting this for herself. She's trying. She's doing the best that she could. And I cherished those three months that we had with her in our home It was the first time since probably my junior year of high school that I really felt like I was able to kind of connect with mom a little bit more again. She was she was mostly there. She was free of the substances, Mm -hmm. but the the passion to change wasn't in her yet. Right. So we offer for her to live with us. We say, why don't you stay permanently, maybe even for a year? It can be longer if you want. We will help you get a job. Let's help you get on your feet. And she says, no. And I'm devastated. Yeah, I'm right. devastated because I thought for sure she would do this. Yeah. She says no, and um, and says I, I want to go back to Utah. And I promise I'll be fine. Yeah, I'm going to be yeah. fine. You're, and, you're, and I know, I yeah. know this.
0: You can tell that. <sighs> so I'm going to leave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So
1: I take her to the airport, and I I am more sad than I've ever felt in my whole life. Because I know, I know that I'm about to lose her again. Yeah. And I remember just before I let her go through the security gate, I remember receiving this really strong impression that says, this is the last time. And, um, and it was that this was the last time you're going to see her sober. And so I remember being really upset (laughs) But then I remember thinking, okay, like don't throw this moment away. And so I look at my mom and um, I take her face between my hands and I say, mom, I love you. And I need you to know this. And I've always loved you and you've always been enough for me and you've always been enough for God. And I hugged her. And I didn't want to let go, but I did. Right, yeah. I watched her turn around and walk away. And it was, that was, that was the last time I ever saw her sober. Um, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to see someone that you care for so deeply. Someone that was so vibrant. Right. And touched so many lives just by being her. Her yeah. spirit was powerful. Yeah. To see her enslaved by the chains of addiction, right. um, was just brutal, and it lasted for so long. So she goes back to Utah and never recovers. We, um, we since we moved back here about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. I guess it'll it'll be two years in February. January. Right. And, uh, yeah. So, in, um, so this happens. I put her, I put her on the plane. She leaves. We move from Seattle to Charleston, South Carolina, and we spend five years there. And I remember coming home after that experience. I remember. Crying like I've never cried before on my way back from the airport to my house. And I remember being so angry with God. Right. I remember yelling at him and just saying, I tried to save her. Right. I tried to rescue her. I did everything that I could. Mm-hmm. What more do you want from me? And that's when, that's when I realize it wasn't my job to rescue. Yeah. It was just my job to love and that's when I realize yeah. I need to start to set mm-hmm. boundaries so that I can be a better wife and a better mother and live my own life, pursue my dreams and the things that I wanted to do, which I hadn't been doing because all of my time was taken up in this rescue effort. Yeah. And um, so I do. I finally begin to set boundaries. And for this five years that we're living in Charleston, South Carolina, I am feeling the best I felt in my whole life right? because right. I had learned, yes, mom was still an addict. Dad was still an addict and that was still super painful. And did I still ball my eyes out in the shower at night? I did. Sure, I was sure. still sad. Right. Yeah. However, I had learned to set boundaries and I learned, I always thought I started thinking of my mom's addiction as like this weather pattern, right? Like she had mm-hmm. this cloud of addiction hanging over her and I let that weather be my weather too for so many years and what I failed to realize that the sun was there behind the clouds the whole time but I was so focused on mom and her weather pattern that I failed to realize that the sun was waiting there to shine for me and so I figured out how to be in that good weather and how to let that cloud of addiction not hang over me anymore either And it was great. Those boundaries were set. I learned to just show her love. I learned how to keep the phone calls to maybe just a couple of times a week instead of 15 times a day. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And I was still sad. I was still sad. But I held on to hope that we'd get her back, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna set these boundaries. I'm going to approach this in the healthiest way that I know possible, and I finally learned to be okay. I started looking to um, addiction uh, recovery and support programs, and doing research, and yeah. and just learning some healthier ways of thinking so that I could, I could be okay. Right. And so, we then moved back to Utah. And that was in January of
0: 2018.
1: Okay. And um, in June of 2018, I get a phone call at four o'clock in the morning that my mother has been found dead. Wow. And um, I don't believe it at first. Sure. It's interesting when you experience that kind of trauma, how you're how your body can like take over. And I, I literally was in denial. I remember I was obviously I was in bed with my husband and I'm on the phone and I'm mm-hmm. asking my sister over and over again. Are you sure? Are you sure? Have you actually seen her body? And she te- tells me no. And so I say, well, then I don't believe it. I'm yeah. going to go yeah. and I'm going to find out for myself, but they have to be wrong. Like, yeah, right. so I have really am in denial. And I remember holding my husband and I remember half of me was saying, this really is it. And then the other half was, no, this isn't. And I remember yeah.
0: tug of war going on there. Yes. I, re-
1: yeah. I, I, remember, um, I remember like hitting him. He was hugging me. And I remember I was like beating my husband in the back. and just, right. it was so raw. Wow. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: I hopped in my car. I, I had my, um, Foot on the gas pedal all the way to the floor, and I drove from Layton down to Kearns, and I got there and I saw the police tape, and um, yeah. and they came out and told us what had happened, and I still didn't believe them, and I spent the next three hours they wouldn't let us go in, and then they asked us to come in and identify her body, and yeah, I remember. Looking at my mother there, lifeless. And feeling so defeated. And you know, I talk about driving home from the airport that day. yeah, And how I was angry with God and mm-hmm. just trying to piece this all together. And I thought I was angry then. I was really angry this time. Sure. And in those days after her death, I... Um, I... Thank you. He just gave me a tissue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little
0: pause there, but yeah, there you go.
1: Um I remember feeling like just the love from my community around me from my neighbors and my friends and and to me that was a manifestation of God's love. That was him saying, "Hey, I'm still here. I know you think like I'm I've ignored you, but I'm still here. And that was manifest in all of the people around me. And Mm -hmm. yet I stepped away. I, um, I stopped praying and, um, and I did this because, because I was angry. I thought, you know what? I did everything that I was supposed to do. I set boundaries. I was living my life in this healthier place. And yet this is not the outcome. That I predicted right, because that right. whole time I was setting those boundaries, I thought, okay, mom has to choose this for yeah, herself. Yeah. So, what this is going to look like is I'm going to show forth this excess of love with those boundaries in place. Yeah. And then eventually, mom's going to choose. I had She'll this whole yeah. fairy tale
0: yeah. in my
1: mind, um, which isn't a fairy tale. A lot of people recover. <laughs> Sure. And I want to make sure that I'm speaking to that because I don't want people to think I'm sharing this story of this loss to addiction um, as that that's the way it's going to end up for you or your family yeah. members. I'm sharing this because even despite the loss, I have felt so much hope Yeah. and I'm doing this to raise awareness. So, um, Man. So I'm angry and I step away and then finally... I think, Andrea, what are you doing? You know what you believe. Yeah. You know there's this higher power, this light, or this energy that you believe in that keeps you going. What are you doing? Yeah. And so I finally um I finally decide to come back and approach my God in prayer. And I kind of think I was afraid too to do this because I knew that as soon as I did that, that he would put me to work.
0: right? right. (laughs) And that's exactly what happened.
1: So I remember, I remember saying this prayer and just for the first time, I finally let him have it. I poured out my heart and just said, why, why did she, have to die why did the story end this way why was this my ending this is not the ending that i felt i was promised why did you let me down right. and i immediately got this answer and felt impressed and heard the words this isn't the end wow and it was one of those perspective changing moments yeah. yet again yeah and since that time it has been impressed upon me that this is how her journey was supposed to end here on this earth. Um, But I believe in heaven, and I believe that my mother is there, and that she is healing there, and um, I know this because I have felt her working through me. And so since that time... Um I have received some really strong impressions that I needed to start to share this story. And I was very apprehensive to do so. Um, I didn't know what that looked like. Uh, I was afraid that if I started to share on a public format that people would think that I was somehow trying to use my trauma to get attention or there's all these things that go through your head that you worry about. And I'm sure there are probably people that think that, but I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Good. And I've come to this place where I don't care because I know what I'm supposed to do. And I know every time I've shared what has happened. That I have healed and that I've helped somebody else heal.
0: You're helping me right now, honestly. Seriously. (laughs) Thank you. I mean that. Um wow. And I'm glad you are willing to share. Yeah. That's why you're here.
1: I do. I believe that um I believe our journey is not through and it's been confirmed to me over and over and over again. Um, these last several months that I've decided to start going out there and sharing on this public format. And I remember, um, I remember the very first big speaking event I had. Mm -hmm. Um, I was speaking at a women's conference for our church. Mm -hmm. And I remember being up there and Feeling her spirit come upon me and feeling her speak through me. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's yeah. it. You were right, God. Yeah. Like her journey wasn't over. Yeah. This is what she was supposed to do. And so I feel like we're doing this together. And maybe wow. you think I sound crazy. <laughs> um, no,
0: but No, that's powerful.
1: But I've seen, I've seen the way that this connection, um, and sharing these experiences has helped. And yeah. um, through all of this, I've learned that we heal through our shared experiences, and that we heal through connection. Yeah. And um, I'm witnessing this happen all the time. Um, I've, I've finished speaking events, and I had one sweet, sweet woman come up to me and. Um, she lost her son to opioid addiction and um, I've had others come up to me and say I have a spouse or a child that is going through this and thank you for telling me that it's okay thank you for helping us to shed the shame as a family and we're gonna move forward with this now and be Mm -hmm. vulnerable and seek the help that that we need and so that right there is enough to keep me going because there are times where I feel for sure drained or you know yeah. it's not easy
0: <laughs> it's yeah. not
1: easy to share this right yeah. <laughs> it's very vulnerable for me so
0: vulnerable but so needed but I won't stop yeah, I know I won't stop well and that's what I love about you and that's why I had you on because you, you. I love your passion and I love that you um you you know I heard once uh, actually at the Utah State Prison yeah where an inmate said if you don't own your story it will own you <sighs> And you're, you're just owning it and you're just like, yeah. here it is. And I'm yeah. going to go share it and I'm going to make a difference in this world. Yes. And hopefully help, you know, someone who might be going through the same thing. Yeah. You, you know, know,
1: it's, um, I was talking a little bit about on my, um, blog the other day, just about this idea of, um, our trials being like visitors, right? And they, they come knocking on our doors and we can choose to not open the door and to turn them away but they keep coming back and it's not until we open the door and we welcome them in and we (laughs) lean into the pain and we lean into that trial, (laughs) right?
0: Yeah.
1: That then we can send the visitor away Yeah. and then we can put that trial behind us. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we even take that trial and we put it under us and then we stand taller than we have before because of that. Right. Right. But we can't ignore the grief. We can't ignore the trial. We can't ignore the pain. We have to greet it. We have to welcome it in. Yeah. And we have to let ourselves feel all of those feelings as they demand to be felt. Yeah. Because if we don't, they just keep coming back and they keep wow. creeping up. But so, when we do that, we start to heal. Yeah, very, and it's really cool.
0: Very well said. That that makes a lot of sense, what you just said there, and a good way to look at it. Yeah. Um. You know, if if someone's listening to this right now who you know, just maybe in that hopeless place that you know you found yourself in yeah. several times through this, what advice could you give them right now if they're just kind of like, I feel lost, I feel like there's no point, what would you tell them right now?
1: I think the most important thing for us to realize um, is that we are enough mm. exactly as we are, yeah. even if that's in the midst of an addiction or um, in the midst of whatever shame it is that you're carrying or you're feeling, that the first step I feel like is realizing that you are a being of power, and a being of strength, and a Mm -hmm. being of purpose, and you have so much to give and to offer despite whatever it is that you're carrying right now. Um, And that I don't want you to give up because you are needed. Your voice is needed. And whether that is that you believe that God has a purpose for you or you just believe that there's an energy that you have to give or something, yeah. you you are enough. You don't have to be fixed before yeah. you can make a difference. You don't have to be perfect before you can make a difference in someone else's life. And you don't have to be perfect before you can change too. When I (laughs) sat there that day Uh in church listening to that song, I was the victim, right? Right. And I left that church meeting still with the same trials. Right. Still the exact same person as I was when I walked in. But the difference was is I realized that I had control. And yeah. that I could make my future whatever I wanted it to look like, despite the fact that I was still going to walk in the same doors, I'd have the same home and the same parents with the same problems.
0: Yeah. Wow. You know, looking back on what you've been through, um, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to kind of push you into a, a direction with this question.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: I, I get the feeling you're grateful this all happened.
1: I wouldn't change a thing. There's not a day that goes by that I don't miss my mother. Sure. Or I don't grieve over the years Mm -hmm. of lost opportunities for my father. Right. And yet, um, everything is as it should be because perspective is what perspective and experiences are what give us empathy and empathy is what provides us with an opportunity to uh, embrace that power and that light yeah. that's in us. Yeah, wow. Right. Very well said. So no, I, gosh, do I wish I had her back? You bet. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you bet. But I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change anything. And, mm-hmm. I know that mom wouldn't change, wouldn't, Mm -hmm. wouldn't change it either just because we all have a purpose and I really believe in that. I really believe in that.
0: Well, you know, as I'm hearing your story here and I'm just very inspired and very touched, you know, what, what price would we pay to have true compassion for other Mm -hmm. people? Like, what's that worth? And look what you had to go through, but now you have, you know. I'm sure you're always a nice, compassionate woman, (laughs) but I mean, you, you, you have it such on a deeper level than you know. There's no other way you could have gotten it. No, you know. And and that's that. What I feel as you're sharing this, man, I feel such that deep compassion you have, not only towards what happened, but even towards what you're doing now and making a difference. Right.
1: It's so cool. I feel it's like it's the only way that we've really learned how to experience what real unconditional love is. Yeah. Right, wow. you have to you have to get through that first. Yeah, um, yeah. You don't gain that perspective without the experience, right? Sure. And it's it's in those moments that you have to dig deep and learn what it is that's important for you. And for me, it was learning how to cling to the Savior. Yeah. And not to the trial. Exactly. Right. And that's what that's what works for me.
0: you? Well, that's that's you being believing and faithful yeah. and gra- grateful and all that stuff versus the victim because yep. when you hold on to the trial that's me playing the victim it is
1: and the trial becomes yeah. who you are yeah it becomes yeah. everything that you are wow. it's your identity right yeah. yep. you have to decide that you don't want your identity to be you don't want your identity to be the hardest and darkest things that you've faced in your life right who yeah. wants that nobody yeah. But if you keep focusing on that, that's exactly what you're going to get. I love that. Um, (laughs) You know, another church leader of ours, his name is Russell M. Nelson, and he says, the joy that we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. (laughs) I love it. So, Where are you (laughs) going to place your focus? Are you going to place your focus on all the bad stuff? Yeah. All the things that you've had to endure? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to feel joy? (laughs) Yeah. And if you do, you've got to place your focus on all the good and all, all the good. light.
0: Boy, so well said. It reminds me of the quote: "Where where attention goes, energy flows." Yes, you know, uh, yes. So beautiful. Um, if if someone wanted to, you know, reach out to you yeah. and maybe you know thank you for your story, <laughs> and maybe ask you a question or who's struggling. Or find your blog. How would they yeah. do
1: that? Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a website. It's uh, Andrea Jean Sorensen with an E N.
0: Okay.
1: com. So you can look me up there. I'm also on Instagram at Andrea Jean Sorensen and I'm on Facebook at Andrea mm. Jean Sorensen. So I tried to keep it easy <laughs> on all the yeah, social media sure. platforms. It's all the same. So yeah. um, you can reach out to me there. There's contact links or. Um, you know, if you'd like me to come and and speak at an event about addiction recovery or yeah. um or at a church event, I would love love to connect with you because I That's awesome. I heal. Yeah. I heal so much every time I do that too. And that's yeah. my favorite part of this is yeah. oh my gosh, meeting meeting the people and just being reminded day after day after day how good people are and right. how much vulnerability is is Empowering, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How it helps people to just live their yeah. life to the fullest. Yeah. So you can reach me at AndreaJeanBooking at gmail Beautiful.
0: Well, you know i I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And I knew this was going to be amazing. I did. I <laughs> I, I honestly did because I, had, like I said, I've been following you ever since I met you. you yeah. Know, kind of met you back in yeah, at yeah. that uh, Recovery One convention, but. Uh, You're amazing, and I I do appreciate your vulnerability and willing to share such a tender story that's obviously near and dear to your heart, but man, I feel inspired. It makes me want to be better. And uh, I know people listening to this are going to feel the exact same way. Thank you. So thank you so much for well, sharing. Thank you
1: for everything that you're doing, too. I, I think that you are profoundly inspiring. And when you reached <laughs> oh, out to me, you. I thought, yes, absolutely. <laughs> like,
0: oh, good. I well, think
1: your story is incredible, too. Yeah. And I'm just grateful for your contribution to the addiction thank community you. and uh, for the way that you just are keeping the conversation going because that's really what it's about. So, oh,
0: wow. well, thank, thank you, you for saying I appreciate that. Well, listeners, there you go, man. Another amazing story. Um, and I know you're inspired right now. Please share this with someone you know who maybe feels hopeless. Maybe if they don't even believe in God or whatever, this may help spark them to go in that direction uh, to get past their victim stance. Yeah. And please share this. you know. And uh, I, I do always you know, try to let everybody know that, and Andrea and I were talking about this before we got on, is that there's nothing wrong with you. No. And we say this a lot. And, no. You know, in my, I have a quote on my wall, you know, the most delightful surprise in life is to suddenly recognize there's nothing wrong with you. And I bring that up again because I see what you went through and look what you're doing with it. And there's nothing wrong with you because you went through it. Nope. And now here you are just giving hope to so many people. So thank you.
1: Thank you so <laughs> much. Yeah. Oh uh, Wow. That was thank so Thank you. you
0: <laughs> well, listeners, thank you for listening. Please uh, know how much I love you and I love your support. And have someone amazing again.